Welcome, new listeners, or welcome back, regular fans, to Work at Life. Whether you're an employee or an employer, or you just care about the topic, this is a show for everyone who believes that work should be just as fulfilling as life outside of work, and that the way to get there is through building more human workplaces. What's different about our show is that we look at burning issues through the lens of both the individual and the organization. So the show is co-hosted by me, Maddie Grant, as a culture designer and co-founder of a culture consultancy called Propel, and Sonia Lucina, an organizational psychologist heading up the workforce division at Question Pro. So welcome, everybody. So as some of you may know, we are part of the HubSpot Creators Program, and one of the really cool things about being in this program is we get to meet other podcasters. And so today, uh, we have a super special guest um, who is a fellow podcaster, Um, and so we're going to talk about some just really cool stuff that she's actually doing with her podcast, and and, well, you'll see. (laughs) So Ashley... um, would you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your podcast, and then we'll dig into our conversation. Absolutely. So happy to be here. I am. So I'm Ashley Menzies Babatunde. I'm an attorney born and raised in Los Angeles. I am super excited. I love storytelling. And so I have a podcast called No Straight Path. It's all about the highs, the lows, and the lessons learned. And we just look at the human stories behind millennial success, all the way from the beginning, the ups and downs, the setbacks, the pivots. And I just love hearing stories because I think it really helps inspire other people. So it's been such an exciting journey. So happy to be here. And I've loved connecting with both you, Maddie and Sonia. So thank you for having me. You're welcome. And listeners, you you can immediately see why we thought Ashley would be an awesome guest on our podcast, because it's completely aligned with the stuff that we talk about. Um, so as usual, we'll kick it off with a data point, as we like to do. So Sonia, you want to go ahead with that? Absolutely. And I'm so excited to share this data point in particular, because we are going to talk a lot about career paths and life paths with Ashley. And that's one of the reasons, like we're saying, we absolutely love her show because it's so inspiring to hear true, genuine stories from people from all different you know, aspects, areas, experiences. Because one of the things that I think we all go through as humans is questioning um, sometimes, you know, did I choose the right path? Am I progressing fast enough? Is what's happening to me normal, whatever that means? And hearing what others have gone through gives us just such a phenomenal perspective. And it's maybe it gives us ideas on what we could do differently. Maybe it comforts us that we're not the only ones in a, in a particular path. So it's a part of this conversation also to set it up because between, you know, the three of us and all of Ashley's listeners, of course, we're, we're really excited about this topic. But we went out and also surveyed 300 U.S. workers and asked about their career path and how would they describe it. And it was actually a lot of fun to see the results because they were very different. So 37% of people said that they would describe their career path as a focus, you know, on the finish line, straight and narrow. So when you think about it, it's about a third of the people. And I would say some years back, I don't know if it's maybe a decade or two decades, that was really the expectation, the desire Mm -hmm. is that you just had a straight line, you went up and that's it. And if you veer from it, that's unnecessary, successful. And I think 
especially in the recent months, but even in the recent years, that mindset has changed a little bit. But it was actually really interesting to see that it's only about a third of people that have actually experienced that kind of career path. And there's so many different ways to go. So another quarter of the U.S. workforce said that they would describe it more as a windy, meandering path through a forest. So <laughs> still, <laughs> maybe you can tell that Maddie wrote these questions that I, I just absolutely love that are like not not the super scientific PhD ones that I do, but like you can actually feel yourself like in the description. So you you know where you're going, but maybe you lose your path a little bit or maybe you come across like a big swamp and you're saying, oh, you know, I need to get around this. Like, I know exactly I still need to go north. But man, this trail that I thought it was going to follow is definitely anything but straight. And that's it's a quarter of the U.S. workforce. Um, and then 16% said that they're just lost at sea with no land in sight. So trying to figure it out, haven't done so yet. And 8% said that it's just a continuous spiral. They feel like they take three steps forward, two steps back. And I would say that probably particularly at this point in time, and not necessarily in our lives, because we all might be at different stages, but in history, um, that's not that uncommon to feel because we're battling these forces, not just within ourselves and our passion, uh, but also things that are thrown at us and things that we might have not been able to anticipate and things that are either impossible or challenging to control. And then 14% of people said other. So it didn't necessarily fall into these kinds of categories. But again, I just love that it's there's so many different people having these different kinds of experiences. And so that's, again, part of the reason why we fell in love with Ashley's podcast and we thought it was so great. And having you on our show, Ashley, we wanted to actually give you an opportunity to tell us a little bit about your path because we found it as fascinating as we found your podcast. Like we thought the same about your story. So do you mind sharing a little bit with us about it? Yeah, no, absolutely. And definitely, I felt like the first data point was certainly going to be my path, especially growing up. So I was a very driven, ambitious, precocious child, I would say, and uh, intense, I would, would be the word. Uh, <laughs> just as an example, when I was about four or five years old, I, we had those coloring books. And anytime I would color outside of the lines, I would have a meltdown. Like my family did not understand. Oh, no. Very, I know, I know. Very, very intense. Um, and high expectations of myself and the other people around me. And also someone who really manifested, um, tried to manifest things. And so I actually wrote a letter to myself when I was, I think I was 10 years old. And I said, uh, I've said fun things too. I said, I wanted to, I love pizza and pasta and shopping and TV, all things I still love. But I also talked about my goals. And I said that I wanted to go to Stanford. Uh, I did that. I said, I wanted to be a lawyer. I did that. Wow. And I said that I wanted to go to Harvard. And I did that. I know, which is wow. insane. And I still have that. I literally still wow. have a letter. I can, I can show it to you guys. <laughs> So oh, it's incredible. Yeah. So I was someone who, you know, had this plan. And for most of my life, it certainly worked out. I had challenges. Like my academic journey was not easy, of course. Like it's just, it's hard to get into those schools. It's very competitive. Yeah. So I worked really hard my whole life, but most times it would work out. I would work hard and I would see the positive yeah. results. 
And so when I had my first real setback, that's when I realized that my path wasn't linear anymore. Mm -hmm. And it was a shock to the system. Mm -hmm. And for me specifically, it was the bar exam. So Mm -hmm. I had graduated a California bar exam, uh, failed it and felt really alone. It was really challenging. Mm -hmm. Uh, Most people, even though the pass rate is pretty low, I know it's one of the hardest bar exams, People from Harvard Law School, they usually don't fail it. They usually pass it. And so there certainly was a lot of shame attached to that for me at the time. And then I buckled down, took it again, and failed it again. And that was so challenging because my job was on the line. And I just had a lot of anxiety because I was just someone who never... I just had never experienced it. I'd gone from teaching. I was a legal writing advisor at Harvard. I'd done very well. So I was teaching other Harvard Law students how to write. And then I go on and won awards and everything. And then I go on and fail this exam. So I think it was just a shock to the system. But thankfully, with uh, a lot of support from my friends and family, and I think just not having the job on the line anymore worked. And my current husband, uh, he was my boyfriend at the time. He also um, was studying. He's a year below me. So we got to study together. I got to pass it with him. We got sworn in together. Yeah. (laughs) So it all worked out, but there was definitely that struggle. And I have a lot more to say, but I'll stop right now if you have any questions from that. But no, I mean, I think to to me, I I've, I've never taken the bar exam. However, I have many many friends who are lawyers, and I remember like the terror that was like studying for it, going through the process. And so I very much like I feel like I can empathize with you and like feel for you because for somebody that follow like all the rules, like it sounded like in your career and your life, and every time you were you know, told this is what you need to do and this will happen, that that would be such an incredible, like, just like you said, shock to your system. I don't even, I can't even articulate any better than that. But what's interesting, and, and I think in your story to follow, is that somewhere in the universe and the stars, somebody knew that's what you needed. Because somebody knew like, hey, you have all of these other things figured out. And life is going to be so unpredictable sometimes, and it's going to be so hard, and there are going to be things out of your control that, although in some ways it would be great for you to pass the first time around, the person that you will become going through this experience yes. will be infinitely more beneficial for you than starting your job a little bit earlier than you had anticipated. And I know, like, Probably if somebody had said that to you or I said that to you when it happened, you would have wanted to slap me and you would have had every <laughs> right to. <laughs> it's yes. more like hindsight is twenty twenty, right? So like I understand I would have never said that to you at the time because it's not it's not what somebody really maybe wants to hear in the moment. Um, but it's so it's so refreshing to hear you reflect on it in that kind of way. Because again, I think for anybody that listens to your story all of us have gone through really challenging things and maybe of different magnitude and different kind and maybe sometimes as defined as as an exam and sometimes maybe a little less, but it's almost sometimes a grieving process. And the more we can get through it and understand what we gained from it, the better it is. But I think for people to hear stories like yours, like you almost never know when something's gonna click for someone and when they're going through a big challenge and they're gonna hear one story that they're gonna like, yes, I get that because she sounds so down to earth 
And it's not somebody that's in a soapbox telling this and, and I can really associate with her. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think Maddie, you wanted to yeah, chime in. Yeah. I, can, I actually have a question for you. So um, I'm, I'm Asian. So the, a lot of what you're sharing, I just kept thinking to myself, this, this sounds like it, like for somebody else, it could be like the Asian parent who wants, you know, the child to be a, a lawyer or a doctor, right? <laughs> which is a cliche, but is also very much true for a lot of people. And I'm just curious, I know you wanted these things, you know, you talked about your letter at 10 years old, which is amazing. I'm like in shock. But did, <laughs> it, was there also a certain amount of like parental pressure or just you know, societal pressure from like the outside for you to, to be on this path, like as you were going yeah. through it? Yes and no. So from the parental side and the family side, absolutely not. Shockingly, it was very, they were just so supportive and so helpful. And even mm -hmm. though my dad's side, they're from Guyana. And so there's certainly like that immigrant influence. Um, it was a bit of a different upbringing. My grandmother was definitely like very excited about my path when it comes to being a lawyer but yeah. everyone but my grandfather was a teacher he came to the states and he wanted to be a teacher he was a community organizer and so they more so were people who said follow your passion follow what you're good at what you love we are happy with whatever you do and so i think my parents and my family in general they were just sad that I was sad. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. so they lifted me up in this really challenging time. But on the flip side, being a Black woman in institutions of privilege my entire life, there is a weight. I am often mm -hmm. the only one. And so there is a weight that I carry when it comes to being excellent. Mm -hmm. And often Black women in these spaces cannot, can not really be human. And so mm -hmm. it was really nice to be able to share my story and try to release ourselves of that yeah. because it's just too much weight. It's too much pressure. Yeah. pressure. We're human. Yeah. And so I definitely felt that. And I finally, it's so interesting because I finally gotten over all of that imposter syndrome and, you know, mm -hmm. stereotype, <laughs> right, all of that. I really had come into my own in law school. And so to then to have that setback, I think that was really tough, but as Sonia said, it was what I needed. It was certainly what I needed. And what one example, one thing that I really learned from this journey was that I thought, I didn't realize it at the time, but I really defined my self-worth by my accomplishments. I tied like who I was like to the work that I was doing and how well that I, how well I did it. And so, when that was taken away, it felt like it was taken away at the moment. I felt like I didn't know who I was. And so coming out of that, I realized that I'm not defined by my accomplishments, nor am I defined by my failures. I'm defined by the human qualities that helped me overcome the failures and succeed and accomplish the things that I aim to do in life. So it's really those qualities and those qualities never go right way, right? You know, like money comes and goes, titles can come and go, but like who you are to your core, that's the most important thing. And so it was an invaluable lesson and I'm so grateful for it. Um, I, th I think what's interesting, I was talking, I think it was with my mom the other day and 
where she sent me something about the school system. And my son is very young. He just started preschool. So, but I'm like, I'm just getting like, you know, some decades after I was in school back into it, but not much has changed. Like in many, many years, like kids still generally sit in desks and they do homework and we have tests. And so I think for so much of our schooling, it's so easy to tie your self-worth to that because you get a grade and you get points and you get like a ranking where you don't get that with your friends and you don't get that with your family, not in that quantifiable way. Like you don't finish a week and your parents give you like a score of one to 10 on how you did, or you don't think like, Ooh, like, you know, I have 10 really good friends. And if I have five great friends and this, but like none of that is quantifiable. And so I think what happens and what's interesting is like, as I, in some ways, I think it's because the way the life is set up, it's almost this rite of passage that it's after we finish school and the life dynamics start to change that we start to realize exactly what you said, because all of a sudden, like a lot fewer things are quantifiable. However, I do think that's still the interesting thing. What happens with organizations is that oftentimes, and I think now, which I love, you know, more and more organizations are saying it's important to be empathetic. It's important to be compassionate. It's important to connect with your employees. However, <laughs> most of us still get our bonuses and our pay raises, depending on how much, um, you know, for your profession, like billable hours for us, maybe it's invoicing revenue. So it's like, we want you to be this kind of leader and we want you to be this kind of colleague, but really like at, at the end of the day, your paycheck and how much you take home will be tied to more quantifiable goals and more transactional and business goals. And so I think it's, that's what in the business world, I think still makes it a little challenging for us to not continue to tie our feeling of self-worth to something that's so, so much more tangibly quantifiable than like, how many of my colleagues really enjoy working with me? How many of my colleagues dread when they're like, oh my God, I have a meeting with Sonia. Like, no, she's a terror. I don't want to have this meeting. You know, yeah. you don't get to find out a lot about that. Um, but it, so I think it's everything that you're saying. I think it's, it's so interesting for the individual. And it'll be so interesting to see how educational institutions and how organizations too can in a way change that setup. Because I don't, I don't think it makes sense for us to define ourselves by these tangible accomplishments, because to your point, like we're so much more than that. And the impact we have on the world is so much bigger than that. I a hundred percent agree. And I think specifically, like you said, in my profession, you are defined by the billable hour. And so mm -hmm. even though it's not, you know, you don't say that on the website, citizenship <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, hard work and some of these other principles, yeah. you are, really ultimately be just because of the business goals of the company it's the billable hour and so you kind of have to take yourself outside of that and just know who you are and move through the place like what are people saying about you which i agree sonia like are you a good person are you a leader do you help out with your team things like that those intangible qualities that yeah, may not be measured i do think one thing that firms are doing, which I think is great, especially just the, the big law firms that have the billable hour, is they're trying to tie some of these billable hours to these more soft skills, which are really important. So one example is the diversity and inclusion hours. So now firms are doing, they're allowing some of your diversity and inclusion work to actually go towards your billable hour, which yeah. has been wow. really, yeah, really amazing, really amazing. Yeah. Because as someone like me, so I came into my firm when I first started, as it now, oh, like four years ago, I 
was the only black associate in that particular office. And so that can be tough. And for me, I, you know, I'm a outgoing person. I love to recruit and talk to people and support people. I was doing a lot of that work. That work wasn't tied to the billable hour. I'm not getting paid for this. It's not really valued. And so the fact that they were able to create a system like that to at least have some of that work go to the billable, I definitely think has it has been really helpful. So I'm excited to see what other companies can do to try to value these more soft skills within the yeah. workplace, because I think it's going to go a long way. Yeah. What do you think about tying the billable hour to things like, um, you know, client relationship building or stuff like that is there is there some of that in your in your firm in your world yes yes that's another initiative we're hoping to get all of this stuff passed in lots of law firms it's uh, called pitch work usually and so it's certainly considered i think when it comes to bonus time i don't know how many firms have done it i don't think it's really tied to the billable hour in the same way that your billable work is but yeah. i do know at least that there's been this push to track it, to look at it. And then when bonus time comes around, they certainly consider it. So let's say if you're below your hours, uh, the threshold, but then you have a lot of pitch hours that would push you over. Most reasonable firms <laughs> should give you that bonus. Yeah, well, yeah it's, it's funny because a lot of the, a lot of the changes like we talk about, you know, building more human workplaces, which is also, you know, mm -hmm. something you care a lot about, obviously. Um, but it seems like a lot of the way to get some of these changes to happen is through kind of small, like system or process tweaks, you know, just literally doing things a little bit differently can kind of open the doors to just a, a really different and more kind of human way of working. Yeah, it's like the small things end up being the big things. Right. Yeah. Are, are leading right. to the big things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And sometimes the big the big changes are scary to make for an organization, especially when some of the things are so closely tied to the bottom line. And for better or worse, more most organizations, especially if they're public, are evaluated by that, like whole like fully by the stock market and and such. But then you start to have these smaller initiatives, at least. And that's what we were talking about one of the episodes with Guillet in a, in a different context. And she was saying, you know, there are some of these small things I do, but they don't necessarily maybe add up to something bigger. And we're saying, but they will. Like, it's it, maybe it's a safer way to try something and change something. But then when you see the positive outcome and the organization notices, and it's willing to almost maybe have like, I don't, again, I think it's my kid, but I'm thinking of like Legos and these tiny building blocks and mm -hmm. everyone can be so small but you can build something really big with it. But then if you have to adjust, you can take just one small piece out and maybe put something back and now the whole thing crumbles. And so maybe that's a way for organizations to think about it. It's like you're building something and not everything has to be these giant leaps. And especially like I think in industries and organizations that are more traditional, getting somebody's buy-in on something really big is going to take a really long time. And it might not even fly. You might end up like I'm just reading like a business book and this woman was giving an example in the organization where she worked. Things would take like one, two, three years and they might never pass. Like we don't have that luxury anymore. Like things around us are moving too quickly. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's encouraging to hear at least those even those smaller steps, because I think in some ways they might be like they have a greater chance of success and they might be more sustainable. And, you know. 
Yeah. And I even think sometimes things that aren't even structural, but they're, they can change the culture. So one is example is something that's really small, but I always look back at it and I just am so grateful. It's just really being open and transparent about vacation. I think in really inherently traditional professions like law, like investment banking, where there's long hours and really high client demands, you know, saying that you're taking a vacation yeah. like, is a little scary. <laughs> It's a little scary. Yeah. <laughs> and so that that's certainly changing, especially with the pandemic. We've got emails from our firm, you know, take your vacation. Right. Things like those small things are really helpful. And I remember it was my 30th birthday. We had some really big witness interviews coming up for one of my cases. And so I was going to push my birthday in Mexico. And so I called the senior associate on the case and I said, hey, I have my birthday. When do you think these will happen? I can move it. Let's talk about dates. And she said, do not move your birthday celebration. We will figure it out. We'll provide coverage. You might have to hop on one call. I'm so sorry, but like either way you need to go. And then she explained to me that two weeks before she was in Costa Rica with her family, had no idea. She said, yeah, you know that call that I, we were on and we were running through? I was in Costa Rica with my family. You have to take the time. I was like, oh, <laughs> which was so nice. And, and so I think yeah. that right there, I took that vacation. It was the end of 2019, right before the world <laughs> shut down. And I am so grateful because that was one of the last trips I got to take and be with all of my best friends. Yeah. And it was literally a, like a five, 10 minute conversation with a senior associate that changed that trajectory yeah. for me. So those little transparent moments can really start to change the culture if people start to talk and share their stories and just yeah. share like, this is how I'm being human in this job. Yeah. Oh, you're so right. And I think the, the assumptions we make as humans, especially like sometimes maybe if we're new to an organization or we're new to a career for whatever like reason at that moment, we're doubting ourselves and we don't, we don't want to take a risk. Like so many times we make those assumptions to be a lot more cautious and to say, well, I don't want to anger someone. I don't want to upset someone, but I can imagine like any one of your colleagues that you told your story to thought, wow, okay, if I'm in that situation in the future, I will have the courage to ask because Ashley did, and it was not a big deal at all. And you were even going with the mindset of, okay, like I'll tell them I'm planning to reschedule this, but I'll find the best way to do it. Like good for you for at least having the conversation because if you would have just rescheduled it and nobody would have known, like none of this would have happened and it would have probably never had that domino effect on others. So that you're, you're so right about sharing that story because it, it allows other people to see like things that maybe they assume are not normal, because of the experience they've had before, whatever like they've experienced personally, um, to push at least a little bit and ask in cases that you know maybe they never would have. Yeah, I actually I just really love the concepts. You know, going back to your podcast, you know, Notes Straight Path, where you invite people to share their stories. Like I just think that's just genius because. Yeah. You just, you don't know until you ask, right? Sonia and I, when we had a, you know, conversations <laughs> with you before, um, we shared our stories with you and we're like, oh my God, like there's so much we don't know about each other, but we're obviously yeah. good friends and we've known each other for what, like four or five years now. <laughs> but yeah. it's like, 
you you don't get that opportunity to really sit down and say, so tell me about your childhood and your upbringing and you know your whole entire like path, right? So I I just think that's really cool to have like a forum for that conversation. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit more about the podcast and like you know the kinds of people who come on it or any like aha moments like inter- interviewing people, anything like that? Yeah, yeah. Well. First, I would just like to say that I can relate when it comes to just interviewing my friends. So I started with just interviewing my friends and I realized there were certain parts of their story that I did not know about, uh, which was so surprising and interesting. And it's because, yeah, we don't take that time to connect and get the full story, the the full humanity of even the people that we know and love. And so it's been like a really great personal growth experience for me, but more generally, we have everyone and I'm excited. We have so many stories. So we've got the story of the doctor who had a similar experience with, you know, failed board exams and overcomes all of that to do amazing work, not only as a doctor, but also as a community organizer, as a writer. Uh, We talk about grief. We talk about, we have the pro football player who makes it to the height of his career and realizes he doesn't love it and everyone is confused by that and (laughs) makes a pivot and becomes uh, his first show that he ever pitches becomes a hit series on CW, uh, All American. And yeah, now he's a full-time producer and writer. So sometimes, you know, you might even take that straight path. This was like that straight path of what he wanted to do and then realize, okay, this isn't really giving me the value that I need anymore. And we talk to politicians. It's, it's election season coming up and how did they make that journey? So definitely what I love about it is I'm not limiting it to one profession because I think we can really learn from everyone's story because we all have that human connection. So it's been really fun for me to kind of get outside of my legal community (laughs) and talk to lots of different people. But I think the main things are really setbacks. We talk about pivots, uh, the doubts that you might have, really just fascinating, interesting stories. So even if you're not in a particular place in your career, you're just kind of, you've got it, everything's fine. But you like a good story, you can tune in. (laughs) And finally, one thing I do like to do is I'll do some solo episodes where I do provide the some career tips and life tips, Mm -hmm. and usually based on my personal stories and some of the stories of the people that I've interviewed. Nice. I love it. Well, look at that. We're at like over time, like every single episode. But I think that's actually a perfect way to end. Um, and yes, highly recommend everybody go check out um, No Straight Path. It's really great. Um, and Ashley, do you have any sort of final thoughts for us as we kind of close out today's episode? I'm just grateful. I just, yeah, thank you guys so much. I really enjoyed this conversation and the one last week. And I'm just really happy that the HubSpot Creators Program brought us together because you guys are so inspiring, Maddie and Sonia. So thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much. It's so lovely to get to know you. And we're just so excited to see all the things ahead. And and hopefully, yeah, HubSpot gave us an opportunity to create a great friendship and help each other along this wild, I don't know, Maddie, how you described the past 
winding, <laughs> yeah. passionate, <laughs> adventurous road ahead. So definitely so feel so fortunate to have you now by our side as well as somebody we know to, to experience yeah. the life in the most beautiful way possible. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And bye, everybody. Bye, listeners. Bye. Thank bye. you. Thanks, Ashley. Thank you.